all great hosted by animation tanya we are in the 6th episode of our podcast and each conversation so far has been so different from the last so enriching in the perspectives it has helped us build along the way adding to this discourse is prabha rai sridhar a senior hr executive at ongc who started her career as a research associate at iim lucknow and a teaching associate at labasna besides being an inspiring representation for women in the oil and gas industry this episode has prabha breaking commonly held myths surrounding psus while talking about her day job as an academician turned hr executive Hi Prabha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, really, really happy to have you here, and I'm looking forward to our discussion uh, from here on. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, uh, Prabha, so far we have had guests from private firms on the podcast, and we are extremely glad to have you today because you are the first guest from the realm of public corporations. Uh, your career has been interesting as well uh, currently uh, you are working as an hr in ongc uh, could you could you tell us the journey which uh, led you here uh, i really uh, like uh, working here in ongc and um, but i can tell you one thing and i don't know how many people will relate to it i actually never wanted to be a career woman i was raised to be a housewife <laughs> so there was never a pressure on me to actually study hard and get somewhere and do something and i now think it actually helped me a lot because i studied what i wanted to study i did what i wanted to do which i actually found interesting to do so yeah as you said that my journey is quite interesting because i started working as teaching assistant at uh, iim lucknow and after my mba why i joined uh, iim lucknow as a teaching assistant because i actually felt that it was an extension of college life i could still go to the library and attend all the classes i actually found interesting so yeah uh, I, i don't know you guys are still in college so you will not uh, feel it right now what i'm saying but when you leave it you actually miss it <laughs> so yeah so that was uh, my work uh, in iim lucknow actually uh, gave me this interest in in research so uh, i remember my one conversation with my professor one day and he teaches negotiation and i was talking to him and i said that don't you think professor that we cha- we change our style based on how who we are negotiating with like if i am negotiating with a man it's different than if i negotiate with a woman so he said that don't ask me you you should find out so that's how i got the research question of my phd so that was really interesting for me the the journey the learning what i had and actually it helped me in labasna so after uh, uh, i am lucknow i went to labasna and i'm i'm assuming that you know a little bit of uh, lbsna Yes, yes, right. of course. Uh, all the IAS officers are trained over there, right? Yes. Ah, uh, not only IAS officers. Everybody who gets through civil services, they go mm-hmm. there for their foundation course. Three months they stay there, and ah, uh, it is predominant predominantly ah uh, for IAS officers. Yes, two years ah uh, uh, they spend there on and off. So I I went there as a, a research assistant and um. 
for management area <laughs> and what i actually did uh, my, th that was the first time they hired somebody like me and i was there to ensure the quality of the training so they have the two two parts of uh, training uh, one part is academics and other is non academic i only focused on the academic parts of it uh, so first year what i did i documented everything what we were teaching i made the uh session plans for all the uh, classes we were taking and the uh, reading list so uh, i made it very standard and why it is very important because that's how you ensure uh, quality uh, as the japanese say that you uh, you say what you do and then you do what you say so then you can actually improve what you have been doing so that was uh, one part of it and after that what i did actually we got affiliation we got recognition of uh, jnu uh, for that two year course which ias officers were actually doing there anyway so now jnu gives them ma in public management so okay. yeah that's that was quite an achievement because a lot of ias officers um, they they come there they are just graduates they are smart people but they don't have a uh, pg degree so if they want to go for a phd or they want to do something further in studies that uh, two years ma degree that actually helps so yeah that's it right i'm sure and i think what one thing that kind of stuck with me was the fact that you said that uh you know uh, this was all you did not plan this for yourself this just happened and you just went with the flow sort of and i think that's what happened with me as well i wasn't really uh somebody with who decided when i was very young that you know i want to get into an iim and you know do this with my life i didn't like really no no but it's just that i took the opportunities that came my way and i'm from jammu as well so it wasn't very common uh to for us to have gone out to study and all of that but then it started i think with our generation where people started to kind of go out and explore other careers apart from you know engineering and um medical uh so so that was very interesting um now after your academic journey you made a pivot and uh, i think that's really interesting because so far in our podcast we haven't had people who have made such a kind of pivot Uh, from being an academician to uh, you know in the corporate uh, setup so um when you were making that pivot did you intentionally choose to apply to ongc or psu or were you uh, were you uh, trying to uh, also you were open to the idea of applying to a private organization so what motivated that decision and how hard that shift was for you mm, i when i think now um actually i wanted to work in the industry first before i go out and teach people how to do hr i wanted to actually work at hr you know i think i will have more ethos if i have actually worked in the field so i was thinking of that switch any how and when i was working in lbsna my um uh, interest was in public service so i actually saw how government works and things and i got actually uh, um, a little bit of familiarity with the environment and to be very honest i wish i had better story to tell you i actually went to ongc office we have headquarters there in dehradun and i was in masuri i visited the place and i thought okay so they have this school office in government i must work here 
So that's how it all started. And they said that you have to just write one exam and sit for the interview. And I didn't have to go anywhere. I, I was there already. So I sat for the exam and I went for the interview anyway. But what I must tell you that before you join PSU or anybody who is thinking, you must know what uh, it's like before you make that decision. So what I did, I actually didn't know anything about ONGC. I didn't know how good it was for me. I didn't know it was best employer. I didn't know it was for, actually I knew that it is a Fortune 500 company, but actually I didn't know, no. I, why I joined specifically ONGC, not any other PSU, was just the pay scale. So I saw that they are paying the most. So <laughs> that's why I decided. I, I don't have a very interesting story <laughs> to tell you about the choice of ONGC. But I'm really um, happy with the five years younger me that I chose ONGC over anything else. Uh, one thing which, uh, which happens in PSUs is that uh, there's no ownership, right? There's no sense of ownership because once you're inside the system, you keep on working and there's no, the onus does not fall on anybody because you have so many accountability covers, you take a decision and you don't, you, and if it goes wrong, you don't own it in the end, right? And to take this forward, there are a lot of processes as well from the outside, right? This is all from the outside. There are a lot of processes which can hinder taking a decision, uh, leading to, uh, leading to a situation where employees feel less empowered. Is that changing, uh, with time and in a PSU like ONGC? Uh, I, I must correct you here. Um, hmm. Maybe the perception is dated, not the mm -hmm. PSU culture. Um, ever since I have joined ONGC, I have seen a lot of things. We have gone a lot of changes. But even before that, when I joined five years back, we had a lot of uh, innovations going on. And we don't talk about it. We don't come out and say these things. But, uh, because, you know, <laughs> we are a public sector company. We don't advertise that much. I really don't agree with that um, policy, though. So when uh, when I joined, I all I thought that I know the processes, I know how to work in government. But when I actually joined, it was a cultural shock for me. I must say, mm -hmm. when I came here, I after ten days, I called my old boss and I I, I actually said that can I get my job back, <laughs> and he laughed so hard and he said that what you're facing is teething problems, and ONGC is really good for you and you give it a try, and he said if you call me after a month if you feel the same way, we will talk about your job. But I'm telling you, it took only one month and mm -hmm. I actually started understanding how it works here in ONGC. So first thing you should always understand that uh, in PSUs or anywhere in government, the, uh, we have uh, more process oriented, not outcome oriented. Because processes are more easier to measure and we are accountable. Like we have all sorts of scrutiny, right? And we are dealing with public money. Even though we are company, ownership is with the government and government has public money. So we should be very, very careful how we are spending every single penny. So the processes are very important. If you uh, don't understand the process or you don't follow it completely, even if you achieve the outcome, maybe uh, somebody will send you an RTI to ask you why you did what you did and your intention will be asked mm. question. So uh, you'll have to understand the basic difference between uh, government and and uh, private sector so if you understand that then you will find a way to perform better you will understand you will have respect for the procedures 
So yeah, this is one thing I tell every newcomer because you, you should have the very, very deep respect for the professors. Um, last time when we spoke, I was working from home mostly. I was only going two days to office, but now I have to go everywhere uh, every day because because we are uh, doing this uh, recruitment for doctors for uh, for offshore. Mm -hmm. So uh, we get so many applications because you know everybody wants to uh, get to uh, work in public sector. Sometimes in their life, even if the if it's tenure based. So uh, I have to give uh, equal amount of time on every applicant if you asked if you ask somebody in private sector they will maybe do it quite efficiently and in less time but i have to be very thorough in my procedures i have to follow government gu guidelines there is a um, reservation i have to follow that you know i give out those uh, seats for uh, particular uh, people of the society so i have to follow all these processes and my boss and my company how they are judging me is how well I'm following the procedures and how I'm avoiding trouble. So mm -hmm. that is the uh, way I'm judged, uh, not like how quickly I produced 50 go uh, doctors to go to offshore, not not that. So things are very different. If you understand that, you will, you will respect that and you will learn to navigate there. So uh, the primary motivation to join a public sector undertaking is to work for the country, right? So yeah, I, people ask me this question and I see when I joined ONGC, people have, uh, in, people take immense pride in working uh, for ONGC. Whosoever you meet, they might have problems with the, the uh, with the immediate boss or the place of posting, but they will never say anything against ONGC. Everybody is mm -hmm. like, uh, and that's how we treat our employees also. So if it's, we call them oil soldiers because they they go to offshore and they they are away from the family away from the uh, the society and they work and it's quite hazardous and dangerous to work there and they are doing it so we treat them that way and you know people take a lot of pride in wearing those uh, orange dungarees and sometimes they come to office wearing those and it's beautiful i i must say that <laughs> uh, it was very uh, it was very uh, peculiar for me when I joined initially, but now I understand the culture and how much people love working here. Uh, so one of the things, um, you know, that you mentioned um, is that the, uh, the, the work is more process driven as opposed to outcome driven. So when you're hiring people and especially people from, you know, our generation, uh, and our generation tends to be more outcome driven. We need results and we need to see uh, what our actions entail as soon as possible. So do you, is that a hindrance when you're hiring people? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so we have different policy to deal with millennials now. So when I also joined, I actually want instant recognition. I, if I'm doing something wrong, I want my boss. We have this one uh, one year performance um, management system we have I have to wait for one year to see what my boss wrote about me so it's quite like I, I don't have that with patience <laughs> so yeah things are changing quite uh, now and uh, for millennials especially we are coming up with small uh, incentives not incentives in terms of money but recognition and um, if you really want to do something you are given the chance to do it and uh, people say that uh, 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 like uh, Animesh also said that uh, you don't feel the ownership. It's not like that. Actually, 
if you want to work and you come up with an idea, there are so many ways you can do it because you have, you have money, you have resources. If you are coming, with, coming up with something new and innovative and you have, um, uh, you have time to invest, you want to invest time, then yes, you'll get all the opportunities to work for it. it the recognition actually that drives you. Right, and my next question is, you know, exactly about that. So we realize that uh, in any organization, human resource is a very, very important asset. And, you know, the property and the machines, the technologies, all, all of those can be bought with money. But if you have intelligent, efficient and honest workforce is when your organization will be successful. So when we talk about PSUs, uh, you don't get a barrage of incentives, you know, which are available at your disposal to motivate employees to perform better. Everything is uh, from promotions to hikes is related to one's tenure in the organization. So how do you promote positive reinforcement in such a scenario? Yes, here also I'll correct you. Uh, we don't have completely tenure-based promotions like we have in government. Uh, in, in ONGC and some other PSUs also. First, uh, two promotions you get uh, on tenure-based and then uh, you uh, you have to work for it. <laughs> so there are interviews and then there are assessment centers. So if you want to get ahead, then you have to build your CV. You have to be very, very forthcoming. So that's one thing. Second, I would say that uh, money as a motivator is highly overrated. <laughs> I don't think that we only work for money. We, we work for the challenge of it, you know, and just to accomplish a task and to, to be recognized. And especially us, uh, we, we just, uh, we want instant recognition. We want assurance that we are doing correct on, on the real time basis. So these are the things uh, actually. Uh, we have this one system called um, CRC. So, um, uh, even if you are the manager HR and I manager HR, but if you have CRC position that is L1, L2, L3, will not go into the details, then you have more power than I have. So you can sanction uh, things, you can uh, uh, approve projects. So it's not the same thing if we both are from the same batch and you are doing these kind of things and I'm not, then that's, that's one thing I really want to work for. So these kind of, kind of things, that amount of uh, work you get to do if you're doing really well and the challenges uh, are, are given to you and the uh, diversity of the um, uh, assignments you get. Like I was uh, in a CSR a um, couple of days back and now I'm working R&B. So you have to learn quickly and then you have to think on your feet and then you have to excel. That's, that's how it is. <laughs> so yeah. What I like about today is that uh, there are so many misconceptions about a public sector organization and all of them are being cleared by you. And right. So because I, in my last organizations, we both are from private companies. Uh, Tanya is, Tanya used to work in United Health Group, uh, who, which is an American corporation. I used to work uh, with an exhibition organizer who was from London. So we had a plethora of benefits, plethora of motivators, and we knew that if you show results, you will be promoted. That's it. There's uh, there's no question of tenure. And from the outside, we always think that if you work for like 20 years in a PSU or in the government, you will be promoted anyways. You don't have to show quality work, which is, which is corrected by you. Absolutely not the truth. 
yeah that's best part and i also when i was joining ongc i didn't actually know all these things and when i came in i got to know a lot of really uh, progressive hr policies that we have in ongc and a lot of uh, good uh, good hr policies we introduced in india you know um, like we were first one of the first companies uh, to introduce six months uh, maternity leave and paternity leave for for 15 days and um, child care leave for two uh, years so if you are promoting all these things and there are so many i uh, if you google you will get to know all the perks we are giving to our offices and the staff but i must tell you about a couple of um, uh, schemes that we have in ongc that is for um like retired employees see uh, ongcb actually uh, the mumbai high was a biggest breakthrough it happened in 1884 so after that ongc started growing so a lot of people worked then but uh, they retired in the late 2000 uh, late uh, early 2000s and later 1990s and they actually didn't get that much benefit which we are getting but those people actually worked very hard to uh, bring ongc where it is now so ongc decided to actually reward them and i was just thinking that maybe somebody sitting in their living room and you know minding their business and they get a call from uh, ongc who they have left 15 years back that okay so we are giving you this much money because you worked very hard back then so that is so sweet i was like wow and we have so many uh, schemes like that there are small things like that i can go on and on about it but uh, these are the things which actually make you feel proud to work in a company uh, one thing uh, you mentioned about uh, bombay high right so you are in a unique position where your employees or workers are constantly under hazards it's a very hazardous and very stressful situation so in that situation how do you ease the pressure or how do you ease the stress of an employee because there might be grievances because i might go offshore and there is a very real chance that i might die right or any injury would happen to me so how do you ease how do you create a policy which eases all these things as a, as an hr yeah so you have to build a culture of it so you know that your company is watching out for you every time and we ensure the quality of uh, uh, the resources food uh, entertainment you uh, you receive there you have to ensure that and uh, second thing is give voice to people so if somebody doesn't like anything there they have the means to tell the management that okay this is not happening i can't work like that you know so we have a uh, uh, officers association um, and we have a very good and strong trade unions yeah so <laughs> actually they are uh, really helpful so they they give voice to your employees so you get to know about issues before it actually uh, uh, become a volcano and uh, they you have some somebody to talk to when things go wrong I'll give you an example when i was in uh, ir actually there was this only one uh, strike you can say uh, that lasted for a half an hour uh, in the canteen of heli base where we we have the choppers to take people to the offshore so there we have the canteen so contractor was not paying them on time so they went on a strike but when you have trade unions that too so responsible like this then you 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 don't have to fear about the illegal strikes you get to know in advance we can have the conversation we can talk about it so and we what in cases like these what we do we give a uh, 
salary to the workers directly. Then we don't give it to the contractor. So we can solve their issues. So we have somebody to talk to and we actually uh, provide them a place to meet and uh, we give them the resources. So what happens that you can then watch it. Then you know that it is happening on Saturdays or in the, um, uh, uh, during the lunchtime, you know? Yeah. So these are the things. And you become the facilitator basically. Yes. And you, and then you can see what is happening because mm-hmm. they don't want, they don't like it. If they have some issues, you will get to know it one way or the other. So if you are very supportive, they have respect for you, then it works in your favor, actually. So, yeah. And those are people who, we actually do the secret ballot election. We only recognize one union and uh, we do actually uh, election for it. And uh, it is monitored by the uh, labor commissioner. Mm-hmm. And it's like a new election. We do it secret ballot. <laughs> it's quite interesting. When I was doing it, I was very thrilled. It like it's like you you're you're doing an election in a district. <laughs> so um, so so I sit through all these things, but I really like the way uh, uh, the, the professionalism of these people. I must say. <laughs> Right. So um, now moving on, uh, you know, we've had our HR course, we recently completed it uh, in our MBA and we've read about the best practices and policies that an HR must follow to embody and promote fairness, motivation, you know, a growth culture in an organization, etc. So in your experience as an academician and now an HR executive, how much of these textbook learnings translate into corporate decision making? Yeah, I must say that when you join, you have to actually learn the basics and they don't teach you in the business schools. But uh, when you, uh, yes, but when you go on senior positions, actually, you, you remember those things which you studied in the college. So I must say this, uh, uh, when I joined, we, we are completely paperless office now and everything is on SAP and you don't have to write to your uh, HR for anything that you have to just apply in the portal and things get done. So when I joined, we still had that system and we were just gradually going away from the file moving system. So I was the last generation in ONGC that worked on a green sheet, noting sheet, and actually made a physical file of something. So that, that, uh, that time I saw lots of resistance because a lot of people love to generate paper. So you remember that organization changed thing and at, at least you understand why this is happening, what is happening. And it's actually comforting to know this, uh, that uh, uh, this is why this is happening and this will be over soon. Uh, they're not knowing anything at all, you know? Yeah. So uh, gradually, maybe when I'll be on more important positions, I'll be able to answer that uh, question better. But I think that uh, whatever you learn actually gives you, uh, when you uh, face the situations practically, you then you remember. And I sometimes feel that I should have paid more attention in the class. <laughs> so, but now I go back to those books and I actually try to read it. And um, in terms of um, uh, negotiations and leadership and uh, uh, things like uh, motivation. So yeah, I'm, 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 I must say that you should pay attention, but I'm, I, I know when you have to uh, actually uh, study for grades, then you actually study for grades only. When you uh, go to actually work in the field, you remember, but then it's too late, but you can always refer to your textbooks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
Now, uh, you know, another thing which is very relevant to us as MBA students uh, is that we often overlook PSUs and the oil and gas industry and get wowed by the X factor of the e-commerce and the big multinational corporations, you know, that scoop up MBAs for management roles. So uh, what, according to you, are the few things that an Indian candidate, an Indian MBA candidate should be aware of? Uh, that could break the preconceived notions that we have about, you know, a post MBA job in those industries. Yeah, uh, I must say that you should know what you're getting into, first of all, because PSUs are very different and whatever notion you have, you might be in for a shock. <laughs> so get to know where you are going to work first. And if you'll have to have respect for the processes, I told you procedures. So yeah, I have a couple of friends from the new IMs in my own team and I have never heard them complaining or maybe they just don't want to complain in front of me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they are doing quite fine. Um, I, uh, I really like their work ethics. And it's not like uh, uh, before, once you got in a PSU and then, uh, it's not like that. If you want to make a switch, you can make a switch. And ONGC, we don't have any bonds. We don't ask them uh, to stay. People stay because they, they like it in here, the culture. If you fit in, then you stay. If you, if you don't fit in the whole thing, then you should not stay anywhere. It's the same as PSUs. So, yeah. One other thing about uh, specifically about ONGC is that it is in the oil and gas sector, right? Uh, and oil and gas sector is uh, traditionally driven by hazardous fieldwork and the participation of women have has been fairly recent relatively, right? So what are the challenges as a female which you face uh, working in the oil and gas company, which is ONGC? Yeah. So uh, if you see trend worldwide in oil and gas business, you'll see not more than 2% ladies. So mm -hmm. we have 5,000 ladies uh, roughly uh, in ONGC. And when I came and I thought mostly they will be in the clerical post and maybe they have risen uh, from the ranks. But uh, when I came in and now things are also changing as more and more women are coming in STEM. So now uh, they are looking for opportunities in oil and gas business also. And it's very, and I feel very proud of it, that I've started sending ladies to offshore. So they, are, they have started working now and they go for 14 days, they work there and they come back. And I, I feel that, you know, if you are a production engineer and, um, and the, your colleague is going to offshore and getting all the experience and you're not, and you're sitting in office and doing the paperwork, so uh, when they will, uh, they will be looking for a director uh, uh, for that post and they, they will not consider you, but it's not your fault because you were never given the opportunity. So uh, as, a, as a lady, I, wa I want to have the choice to go if I want to go. And if it's not ONGC, then who else? Uh, we can create the facilities for our ladies and if they want to go, they should go. Uh, we are at the cream of the piece, the main question of our podcast. What is the hardest decision which you ever had? Yes, <laughs> I, uh, I will say that uh, decision to get married, that was hardest <laughs> decision for me to, uh, as a professional, <laughs> because, you know, nobody talks about it, but you have to uh, think twice before you choose a man for yourself, because you know how things will work out. You don't know, and especially if you have a field like me and uh, the person uh, you are getting married to, he's working somewhere else, how things will happen. And 
I wanted to talk about it because you no, know, we don't have enough role models about it also. And I want to tell everybody that it's okay when you get chance to live together, you live together. But when you're not, then there are there are technologies and you can fly anytime you want. So yeah. Uh, a lot of people still ask these questions and w one day somebody asked my husband that okay so you got married and she's there you're here how is that and he said yes she allows me to work even after marriage <laughs> <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and I, I really take a lot of pride in my work and uh, what I do as HR so uh, when I had to take that decision, I actually, it was a very, a very difficult decision as a professional. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's, that's true. I think we, especially as women, we have to make these decisions a lot of times in our life, right? Where we have to balance out the personal with the professional and decide what gets priority and why should it, I mean, I don't get it. Why should one have a priority over the other? Like, why should we say that we have to prioritize personal over professional, professional over personal? There can always be a balance. And like in your case, I mean, you're doing it with your husband. Where I'm sure that both of you are equal participants in the, uh, you know, relationship and you're equal participants in your professional life as well. So that's great. Um, so, you know, like this, um, there's a lot of things that we've learned in this episode and thank you so much for that, Prabha. Thank you for taking out time, you know, from breaking our myths about the PSU, like Animesh mentioned before, there were so many myths that we had, and I'm sure our listeners are going to have as well, that are going to, uh, get broken after listening to you talk. And also, especially since we are in MBA and we are kind of at the phase where we're deciding what we're going to do next after the MBA in terms of our careers. So all this uh, advice and just, just the myth breaking about an industry is really important at this point. So thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, now we are at the end of the podcast and this is something that we leave for all our guests to talk about in the last two minutes. Is that anything exciting and anything that keeps you exciting during these recent times, especially uh, during uh, this pandemic? So anything exciting or interesting that you've been up to lately and you can share with us? Yeah, I must say that as a like as on personal level, I have been uh, painting, I have been uh, doing a lot of extracurricular activities. Yeah, but as a professional, we are actually reflecting a lot on our uh, HR profession, uh, HR procedures and uh, policies. So, and I'm happy with the kind of discourse we are having. You know, we are talking about extension of the paternity leave in order to uh, empower men to empower women. Like that's that's beautiful, and we are talking about the POSH Prevention of Sexual Harassment Act. So, how it is not uh, gender neutral. Like, uh, if uh, I, I want um, to complain against a man, I can, but a man cannot uh, complain against me. So it gives me two uh, uh, reasons. Like, uh, first is that uh, we, we put uh, our women on moral pedestal. So you are that way taking out the privilege of ha being a human, right? You're not giving that, that privilege of just being a normal person. And second is that we don't have enough women maybe on the top positions so that we face these kind of cases more often. So that both of these things are very sad. So I'm really happy that we are uh, having this kind of discourse now in HR fraternity and we are um, we are thinking about it and I'm sure ONGC like any other uh, very progressive HR policies, ONGC will come up with something like this in, uh, in near future.